as we follow through the sequence of these episodes on attachment styles, we can maybe, just maybe, pick up how adults may possibly find themselves with a number of unresolved issues which may mostly have stemmed from their childhood. Now, understand that I'm not implying that these issues are all as a result of attachment styles. They are various, in fact, countless factors that contribute to what we generically refer to as issues. But that's not going to be today's cup of tea. Today, the only tea we're sipping on is some attachment styles in adulthood tea with just a little extra sugar. Make sure nobody's watching. Welcome to episode number six. I'm glad that we are together once more. Let's get comfortable. You might wonder why I decided to divide the attachment styles into different phases of life, namely infancy, childhood, and adulthood, when really in all essence, it's the same attachment styles which basically follow throughout the human lifespan. Well, I wanted us to specifically zoom in on three key issues. So number one, the basic general lifespan of a human being, which I just mentioned, that being infancy, childhood, and adulthood. Number two, the specific ways that humans attach at different phases in life. And last but not least, the different impacts or implications that the attachment styles have on our relationships at that specific phase in life. Alrighty then, let us dig right into the four attachment styles that are observed in adults. First on the list, secure attachment. These adults are more likely to be satisfied with their relationships, feeling secure and connected with their partner without feeling the need to be together at all times. Their relationships are likely to be based on healthy foundations of honesty, support, independence, and deep emotional connections. This then means that they are able to trust easily and can communicate any upsets directly, and these partners display a cooperative and more flexible behavior. We now move on to the second attachment style, which is known as the dismissive avoidant, also known as the anxious avoidant. Right. So adult avoidant attachments can occur in this form of attachment style. So people that have this attachment style will generally keep their distance from others. They may even downplay the significance of relationships in general. Right? Some of them could even feel that they don't need human connection to thrive, so they would ensure that they do whatever they can to maintain a sense of independence or isolation or whatever it is to keep them from others. These individuals are often able to even shut down emotionally when a potentially hurtful scenario arises. So for example, you have an argument And often argument, you need to have some kind of reaction. But then if you're able to somehow shut down, this can be due to your dismissive nature. One key reason for this dismissive nature that we speak of may be that in their childhood, the emotional needs were not met by their parents. So then the internal working model comes into play. And Balbi told us that this was basically like a mental guideline for how to approach any relationship, right? So the internal working model, since the child had faced emotional neglect, would then be that they would somehow emotionally disconnect with others in order for them to adapt to that pain 
the prior pain of emotional neglect. So because they faced it at one point, they see how to move on forward, knowing that this is how I dealt with it at that time. And of course it had a huge impact because, you know, the foundational stages is basically in childhood. This then brings us to attachment style number three, which is known as the anxious preoccupied or the anxious resistant. Right. So those who form less secure bonds with their partners may feel desperate for love or affection and feel that their partner needs to complete them or fix their problems or even expect them to feel any void that they feel they have. So while they long for security in their romantic relationships, they may also somehow behave in ways that further pushes their partners away. So you see the irony instead of inviting them in. Right, so this is especially the case if their partner happens to be dismissive. The way that the anxious preoccupied behaves may be perceived as being clingy, demanding, or jealous, you know, acting out of being triggered from jealousy. And obviously we see an imbalance of sorts because one partner may be wanting more and the other one may be pulling back. So you see that dynamic. Therefore, we cannot really have a healthy or a stable relationship, especially in such a case of the anxious preoccupied. And last but not least, we move on to attachment style number four, and this one is the fearful avoidant, also known as the disorganized attachment style. Right, so this one is the second kind of avoidant attachment style. The first one we spoke of, which was regarding avoidant again, was the dismissive avoidant. Right, so that was the first one. And the second one is the fearful avoidant. Right, so this one shows up more as ambivalence rather than isolation. Ambivalence is basically having mixed feelings about something or someone more specifically about the relationship in this case. So people with this attachment style will generally try to avoid their feelings because it can get a bit overwhelming, right? They are also a bit more dependent compared to their counterparts, which are the self-reliant dismissive avoidant, which we spoke of earlier on. And they have some self-esteem issues and also, they may also have some unpredictable mood swings. And this is because of the ambivalence. So it seems that everything goes back to the ambivalence. These individuals are simultaneously drawn to a partner or even a potential partner. But also, they are fearful of getting too close. Maybe because of a fear of rejection or some kind of hurt. So again, we see the ambivalence. So wanting to get close, but not too close. Feeling drawn to, but not wanting to get too close yet again. So the ambivalence is what highlights this attachment style really. And unsurprisingly, this style makes it difficult to form and maintain meaningful, healthy relationships with others. Now, towards the end of the previous episode, I mentioned something about touching on attachment styles in adulthood, right? And then I also said that I've been meaning to touch on the modern day online attachments. <laughs> and I was not really sure if that was the term to use for it. But yay, we've come to that part of the show, that part of the episode. 
right? So we're going to look at, I decided we're going to look at attachments, but now, as I said, we're going to refer to it as online attachments. Um, and this is basically how I perceive attachment styles to be basically pervasive in our everyday life in the online, especially in the online space. So what I've decided is to look at the downside of attachment in the modern day online dating scene, right? So the not so bright side of things when it comes to attachments on the dating scene. Let's, (laughs) let's see how it, how it looks. So let's dig in, shall we? As the technological advancements keep on unfolding, so do some new ways of socializing and meeting people. Online dating has been around for quite a while now. Nothing new. But there is a certain wave of online behaviors that really capture my eye. I feel it would capture the eye of any digital researcher who's looking for some answers in the sphere of love. You know, for how people find love online... And why that seems to be not necessarily replacing traditional ways of finding love in person, but rather it is becoming less shunned upon and is more of a household name. Now, why am I talking about online dating and what does it have to do with the topic of attachment styles? I'll have you know that it has to do with the whole lot. What if I told you that your attachment style affects not only the kind of partner you attract, but also how you react to that partner? But now, more specifically, on the online space. So, get this. We look at your attachment style and your corresponding behavior and beliefs regarding the online love. Since this will hopefully make you more aware of your behavior patterns, You don't have to step onto the dating platforms like some boxer who has been blindfolded for a really important match and not knowing what on earth they have been doing. And just a side note, not to blow my own horn or anything, but this may honestly be some groundbreaking starting point to research that is yet to be done, either by me or any other researcher out there who may happen to be listening and shares my fascination on this topic. Fingers crossed. There are two terms specifically that just scream 21st century internet sensation. Firstly, give it up for situationship, crouchier, imaginary crouchier. And secondly, ghosting, another crouchier, please. Thank you. But there are, of course, many other terms. But today we are honoring these two. Okay, now. Let's get our thinking caps on. Let's switch to serious student researchers looking for real answers. Let's define situationship first, shall we? This is a romantic relationship that's undefined or uncommitted. So it's like a relationship that's not really a relationship, but also more than a casual encounter. So kind of like the name suggests, it's a situation of sorts. The downside of this is that one party might get more attached than the other, hoping that the situationship could eventually turn into an actual relationship. Even though, ironically, one of the most defining points of a situationship is for people who seek not to commit. 
if it happens that both parties aren't decided about the fact that they should both not commit, one party might make far-stretched compromises, such as putting off what they truly desire, such as stability and assurance, in hopes that the other party may one day, maybe one day, become ready. Now, situationships aren't completely or solely taking place online. Some do, and some do happen physically face-to-face. Some of them do become a face-to-face thing. Some of them are strictly online. But then again, there seems to be a comfort with being able to play hide-and-seek, should I say, behind a smartphone screen, giving someone the world through a text, through an emoji, and all the assurance, having them wrapped around your finger. Well, more like wrapped around their screen, waiting on the next text and putting off their whole life for a while. Cynical much? Well, the downside of attachment in the online scene is followed by maladaptive behaviors such as stalking or obsessive uploading for attention or approval. One must know what they want from any relationship before stepping in. And when we do say that you should not settle for less than what you initially wanted, we mean it. We really, really mean it. Check your emotional availability or emotional capacity before you get into a situationship. No one wants to find themselves caught up with feelings for someone who isn't even exclusive with them to begin with. Yeah, ouch. By emotional availability in the sense, I mean... How available are you? How available are your emotions to what is going to happen? Because you know the terms and conditions, should I call them terms and conditions, of what a situationship is about. So you know that if I get into a situationship, this is what I'm going to expect. Am I emotionally available for that? Right? But I think the bigger question actually should be on emotional capacity. So do I have the emotional strength to go through this? Let's say if one, two, three happens. Do I have the emotional capacity to deal with that? For example, if you're not the only one, right? So it's like an open relationship, for example. Are you going to be okay with that? So you ask yourself things like that, right? So you check your your emotions. You check where you are at. You check your emotional state. It's very important. Very, very, very important. And I feel like not only in a situationship, but in any relationship, really. It's always good to check in on your emotional state, where you're at, what you can accept, what you can't accept, what affects you, how it affects you, and what you can do for you to get more control of the situation, or not necessarily control in an obsessive way, but control as in you don't want to be drowning, right? You just want to keep your head above the water. So yes, very important. Moving on to the second term under our subtopic of attachment in the online dating scene, and that is ghosting. So ghosting is defined as the act of putting an end to a personal relationship by unexpectedly and silently, without explanation, withdrawing from all communication. There are various reasons from a psychological perspective as to why people ghost. One of the reasons which fits 
perfectly with our main topic at hand, attachment styles, is that ghosting is a form of avoidance, hoping to avoid confrontation, any difficult conversation, or avoiding being the one to hurt someone's feelings. Ghosting isn't only applicable to stable, committed, romantic relationships, but it is also applicable to long-standing platonic friendships as well, so it stretches to all sorts of relationships. Ghosting also, by the way, it's a very important one, ghosting isn't the same thing as when one ends an emotionally or physically abusive relationship in the name of prioritizing their well-being, right? So in this case, the motive behind ghosting is one's well-being. But it becomes problematic when one's disappearance is motivated by avoidance. So the key factor here is the motive behind why one had to disappear. It could be more destructive for both parties in the long run with mounted frustration, anger, guilt, confusion, instead of initially communicating during the breakup itself. So the more conflict is avoided, the more anxiety it builds over time. A way of then dealing with the fear of conflict is to practice how to respond to small general differences of opinions, such as, right? For example, you can freely voice why you prefer books over movies or why you prefer popcorn over any other kind of snack, for example, right? So when you are able to freely voice your opinions over small things like this, You accept that it is okay for you to have a different opinion. You do not have to agree with everyone's point of view all the time. As you build up from there and tackle bigger differences of opinions, treat yourself for having overcome each hurdle and for having worked through your fear. Although attachment styles do remain fairly stable throughout the human lifespan, they do change when they're influenced by both healthy and unhealthy relationships. Healthy relationships, unsurprisingly, will have a positive impact because one can learn a thing or two from a partner with healthy behaviors as opposed to an unsuitable partner from their past, right? And then unhealthy relationships can have both a positive and negative impact. Negative, obviously, we know how because it's not good for you. But positive, I say positive more specifically because one who is exposed to unhealthy behavior patterns may increase their awareness of what they feel they deserve or what feels healthier and more stable. In other words, an unhealthy relationship may serve as a wake-up call for what one truly, truly deserves. Let's look at two examples. If an anxiously attached partner ends up with a securely attached partner, it may go either way, but the best thing could be that the trusting, supportive nature of the securely attached can influence the anxious one to have some reason to be a little bit more settled and work on inhibiting any seemingly clingy behaviors, right? So this can then become a healthy relationship and defy any other very possible outcomes. On the other hand, if an avoidant and an anxious pair up, the key concern is what I want to refer to as the classic Tom and Jerry chase. The anxious one who craves closeness may come across as being too much for the avoidant who craves their space. 
This can turn into a very bitter cycle of the anxious continuously chasing after the avoidant who then in turn continuously distances themselves even more and more and more. And the cycle continues just like that. But this is clearly an unhealthy relationship. Dare I say that one way of intervening in this duo is a considerable amount of inner work and therapy for both parties. Avoidance could possibly learn to slowly, more effectively process their emotions and not suppress them, for instance. And the anxious ones could possibly work on creating a sense of security within themselves. The security they may not have felt with their primary caregiver in the early bonding stages of infancy. So, this goes way, way, way back, as Balbi had pointed out. I want to end off the episode with my own stance on attachment styles. The past few episodes have been dissecting and dissecting this topic, but have I mentioned what exactly I personally think of the attachment theory? How relevant is it anyway? According to me, that is. Well, well, well. Attachment styles as a topic was definitely a personal favorite of mine when we had first studied it in our first year. I was intrigued with the depth of the influence that one's early attachment would later on have on them. I mean, it answers a whole lot of questions regarding why we struggle or thrive in all sorts of relationships. I truly hope that you too have learned a little something. I'm also hoping that the stance of all your relationships make a bit more sense now with all this knowledge. This is especially so because one of the ultimate aims of this podcast is to increase one's sense of self-awareness. It's a lot to take in, that's for sure. But no rush, of course, no pressure. Growth is a daily thing, as long as you are putting in some kind of inner work. Playing the blame game either on yourself or on your caregiver does not help in any way. Self-compassion is important for all parties that may be doing any inner work or therapy. In actual fact, it's important for every single human being. We already deal with so much in our multiple spheres of life, right? So self-compassion is really important. And self-compassion is defined as positively attending to ourselves, being understanding, being warm towards ourselves when we feel down or when we fail, instead of ignoring our emotional state or engaging in criticism. So this, my friend, is a big fat must. Self-compassion, self-compassion, self-compassion. From Expressing Encompass, from me to you, not only is it okay to express yourself, but it is essential. Thank you for listening.